This is not psychotherapy. Dr. Wills does not have a provider-patient relationship with this guest. These are just two people talking about emotions. Welcome to Give a Actually with your host, Dr. Alex Wills. Welcome to Give a Fuck Actually. I'm here today with David Jurassic. Did I say that okay? You did great. Thanks, Alex. Thanks so much for being on. David was a sensitive and dreamy kid who learned to be a, a chameleon and high performer, but felt invisible and never good enough. Fortunately, due to the caring and daring support of many mentors, his wife and friends, he had been healing and growing into the father he wishes he had, a husband who helps tend the garden of love, a passionate mentor of men and a grateful founder of community of men learning to become more powerful and loving together. Anything you wanted to add to that? I'm just grateful to be here. This is an honor and uh, I'm excited to see where we're going to go. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking before the show, you know, emotions have never let me down yet. So I'm always curious to follow their lead and see what we can maybe learn. Sounds great to me. I have that same trust over the years. Yeah. Yeah. So for folks that don't know about you, what would you like people to know a little bit about your background? I'm just barely getting to know you myself. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel very lucky at this stage in my life. I had cancer a few years ago. I'm 46. I Luckily, it's out of my body and recalibrated everything for me. I was working as a therapist in a children's mental health with families. And since then, I've really committed my life's work, which is working in community with men, particularly. And when I saw your podcast, I was thrilled because one, the title, I don't know if it's in relation to that book that came out a few years ago, that subtle art of not giving a fuck. Right. I've often, I've often <laughs> wanted somebody to stand up for, especially with men, to stand up for more the value of emotions especially negative emotions. And I, I love the title and I love the work that you do. So I'm coming here just, you know, got a sort of gut instinct. It's calling me and wanted to get to know you better and see where it goes. Yeah, the book is a bit of a response book to the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that book on some levels, but something about it was rubbing me wrong. And it was sort of, this idea that emotions, you know, are a sort of a problem and overrated and something we need to fix or solve or avoid or get rid of or work through. And it flew in the face of a lot of the evidence-based psychotherapies that I've been interested in, like acceptance and commitment therapy, a lot of the Eastern kind of Buddhist-based ideas. And it's sort of a defense and celebration of how our emotions are really there to help us, that they're not there to just torture us and make us feel worse. And in fact, we're really declaring war on ourselves when we try to pick and choose and control the emotions that are just giving us help. Absolutely. Well, I see the consequence of that working with men day in, mm. day out, right? Yeah. Um, I'm so glad. And there's so much in our popular culture that's about trying to bypass our emotions, especially the negative ones. So yeah, 200% here. In your work with men, 
What do you find most difficult for them when it comes to their emotions? Well, there's so much conditioning. First, I find men particularly, and this is going to sound terrible, but I, even men who are very high-performing, very smart, very wonderful human beings, they're emotionally stunted most of the time when I meet them. So they're operating more at this, you know, I worked with kids and teenagers, so I've seen the stages of emotional social development for decades. And a lot of men, even in our 40s and 50s, we're operating on an emotional level of a six-year-old or a 10-year-old. And that often means we have some very distorted ideas about what these emotions are for and how mm. to. So if I'm angry, well, I should just breathe, do my anger management, you know, focus on mindset, you know, strategize, fix problems. Right. This is this is what you do when you're 10 years old. You figure out how to how to build competence. Mm. It, it doesn't work in a marriage. It doesn't work in a complex friendship and a relationship to just go into that mode. Mm. And a, a lot of men don't even have the vocabulary for complex negative emotions. Mm. I just spent two hours with a group of men this morning talking about guilt. Mm. It's just this yucky, gross feeling. And when we got into the the guts of it, about what is guilt and is there guilt that's helpful and not helpful. It was so illuminating for everybody, you know, to be able to discern and understand what the messages are from those feelings. Mm. I feel a lot of men feel trapped by their negative feelings. They try to escape them all the time, cope mm. with them, manage them, medicate them. I find that just the modeling for them that those negative emotions have value. Mm. But also when we engage them, there's so much life force that gets liberated, right? Mm. All the sort of men who are depressed or feeling listless or restless, it's because there's there's so much trapped in them, in those negative emotions that they're not allowing themselves to experience fully. Right. So I think it's an incredible vein of work that you're doing. And I'm I'm doing it in my own way also in community of groups. And it's it's so powerful. Right. You know, that's such a true statement that this guilt, this yucky, gross feeling, and it's almost like, you know, I, I don't even, I try not to use the term negative emotions. We use it a lot because that's what people think of mm. because all emotions are in a sense positive. There's, I think they can be very painful. They could be very unpleasant. They could be scary. They could be overwhelming and caustic, but they're all there for a reason. And if we can look at that with curiosity, I'm curious, uh, what, yeah. what were you able to discover about guilt today? What, what kind of insights or epiphanies did your group sort of come up with? Did you learn anything yourself? Well, I'm always learning because I, I I'm always discovering through other people, particularly men, how we encounter and experience something. Right. And, and it's often a revelation, even when I kind of know the terrain and go, Oh, wow, this is how it's coming out right now. So for, for me, guilt and shame, those two emotions get misunderstood the most, and they're the hardest to experience, process, approach. So mm. I love digging into them. And guilt, to me, it was fascinating to see one man that I care about struggling with responsibility to his family, mm. to his mother who's aging, and to his grand, you know, like people. In it. And I could so relate to that. And he got really gummed up. First, he thought, you know, I got nothing to say. I'm just feeling like shit today. 
and he didn't want to even speak. And then as it kind of came out of him, the yucky stuff, right, that, that gross feeling that he was feeling, he started to name it and articulate it. And I was like, oh, I feel bad because I'm not spending enough time with my aging mother. Oh, I feel bad because when I'm on the phone with her, she just like picks on me and tells me that I'm not doing enough in my life. And I don't like hanging out with her. And I feel bad that I want to get off the phone. And it's just mm. like, and we kept teasing it out. And we got to this beautiful place where he could see the intrinsic guilt, which was like his own conscience saying, I want to spend more time with her before she dies. Mm. She's, a, you know, this is important. I got to find a way. Mm. And then the extrinsic guilt, the guilt that didn't belong to him, which is, you know, if I, if I set boundaries with my mom, she's going to feel lonely. She's going to feel sad. It's my fault. Mm. And that comes from that little boy in him that I could relate to being trained by my family that when my mommy feels bad, it's my fault. I mm. must have done something wrong. I must have displeased her. Oh no, I feel terrible. <laughs> I have to correct my behavior and comply with what the parent wants. Yeah. You know? And he was able to like on his own with a little bit of me just reflecting back to him and he was able to like tease that apart. And I could feel relief in my body as he did that. You know, just like be able to say, okay, this is this is guilt that's telling me something important. Mm. And this is coming from a place that's kind of like a hangover. Like I gotta release this because I'm holding it and it's not health it's not healthy anymore. Right. So we're learning together, you know, we're exploring these dimensions and and every time I do it with someone else, I'm revisiting my own emotions too in the moment mm. where I'm holding either of those guilt. Yeah. That's such a sacred way. I think that we relate to each other because without even knowing the background or the story or the why, if you were to tell me that you have this intense guilt you're feeling right now, I know what that's like, you know, I I've experienced that and I can relate and my heart automatically goes out to you. And all of a sudden you're not just some person talking, but you're like this, this person that I care about, I can sort of identify with, I can relate to on a very, very special level. You know, I find it so essential in the give a fuck book. We talk about the difference between emotions, just sort of those pure emotions, like guilt, feeling sad, feeling happy, feeling joy, feeling lonely, feeling fear, just sort of the, the words that don't need, need any explanation or story behind it. Then I, I call feelings when you combine an emotion with a story. Mm. And the story is often untrue. The story is often toxic. But they're so wrapped up together that we start to feel like there's a problem to solve. And so we end up invalidating the emotions, which are just true. They're just there to help. They're just there to give us some, you know, emotional radar, some emotional data stuff. And we start to try to fix them or discount them or get rid of them or label them as bad or negative rather than validating the emotion and then separating out. And it sounds like this is kind of what you were doing with the guy in, in the group today. You know, what, what was that story that, oh, if she feels bad, it's my fault. I'm to blame and somehow it's my responsibility mm -hmm. and, and I'm a bad person. I'm a failure. We get, it gets caught up in this whole storm of negative toxic stories or beliefs that that we we can question and we can come up with a better story a story that's actually true and adaptive yeah absolutely i, I guess there's another piece to that too 
for me when I'm working through this is once I kind of find that story and start to disconnect from that truthfulness of that story, I, I still have the sort of the impact on my body. I've still been carrying that hook in my gut, you know, just tugging mm -hmm. at me, that feeling of I'm responsible for my wife, for my kid, from people's unhappiness. Yeah. And and there's kind of an intuitive thing because you asked me to pick something. I didn't know what I was going to pick. I'm talking about uh, <laughs> client and now I'm realizing that I have guilt myself, right? Okay. It's still like stuck in my gut a little bit. I've noticed that I've gotten irritated with people I love, my wife and my daughter lately. And it, it's funny, you know, how it comes up around different things, around boundaries, around time, when we're spending time together, time apart. But there's a part of me that still carries a little bit of guilt, like a, like a fish hook in my guts. That's about when people I love are unhappy. Mm -hmm. It must mean that it's me. It's me. I did something. I didn't mm -hmm. provide enough. Or I did something to upset them. And I know enough to kind of pull away from that story to know that it's not true, but I still get hooked into that feeling in my gut and then reacting to that feeling with annoyance, anger. Like my teenager's like, I don't need to listen to that bullshit, right? <laughs> I have like secondary feelings around it. Hey. So I'm just, that's coming up for me right now as, as we're talking. <laughs> talk, talk more about the body. The What's the sensation in your gut? Can you describe the physical intensity well, describe this completely try, try to try to make us understand what it's like to actually feel that physical sensation and, and whatever else oh wow um feels like shrapnel mm. like right in my upper mid gut right in the middle mm. there it's like it got in between all the the muscle and uh, right into the guts yeah it's grating, it's sharp, it's really uncomfortable. I can't get to it. Um, and it's like everything's fine until somebody I love is upset and they're looking at me with disapproval or upset face. And I that it's like something pulls at that, ooh, yeah. ooh, you know, and it starts to kind of cut. And then all of my uh, guts and muscle around it contract, kind of like tighten mm -hmm. around it almost like to defend myself, to protect myself. Mm. Yeah. And I feel trapped too. I feel like I'm a fish that's got caught on a hook. If this emotional energy, the sensation, if it had a size and a shape, I'm imagining it's this kind of metallic, sharp, like shrapnel, you know, dark, what, what color is it? What, what size, how big is it? What's it? silver and it's like it's at least four or five inches long and it's not mm -hmm. just a regular hook it's got all it's like shrapnel and that's got all these like sharp edges that are yeah. you know right multi, multi sharp little places yeah yeah and is it just inside the sensation or does it seem to even go outside of your body just uh, just kind of feel like it's in this one area well, this is fascinating because I can remember times when I was younger where it was like, it was overwhelming. I would mm. like double over and lie in a fetal position and feel terrible um, yeah. because my parents were mad at me. I would say it's like, it's in my body. It's still in there, but it's, it's 
not as painful as it used to be. Mm. You know, it's like a four out of 10 instead of like a seven or eight, like I remember. Yeah. So I feel relief and kind of space mm. around it, but mm. it's still there. It's still like, oh, it's still like, I want it out. You know, yeah. Like, Get it out, Alex, please, somebody. <laughs> There's that kind of sense around it, you know? Yeah. It's so interesting that you automatically, that emotional, physical memory took you back to a time when you were a child. How old were you at the very youngest, the very, very first time that you ever remember experiencing this specific, I guess, emotional signature and the sensation in your, in your tummy? Maybe four, okay. four or five. I remember coming home from playing outside and my mom being really upset. And then my dad would get physically violent sometimes. And, I'm, and then my mom would get sick and she would say, it's my fault that she's sick mm. and I misbehaved. So I made my mom sick and I made my dad attack me. Mm. So I felt a lot of terror. Yeah. Yeah. If you could take that four-year-old, innocent, cute little kid version of yourself now and have a moment with him, what would you say to him? imagining to to validate his emotion to to give him the comfort understanding unconditional love that he was not experiencing at that moment wow wow my whole body just really relaxes around that question um hmm. i want to put my arms around him and just first there's like two things the first you're safe it's okay i got i'm here no one's gonna hurt you and then there's like leaning in closer and say, it's not your fault. It's, this is yeah. not on you. Right. They're having a bad day. They're anxious. They're scared. They mm. didn't know what else to do, but to try to guilt you. But this is not your fault. You're just being a kid. You're just, mm -hmm. you forgot. You lost track of time. You're four years old. Like, mm -hmm. it's okay. It's okay. What, what would you say to him to help him understand that these painful emotions are painful and that's, that's okay. It, it doesn't mean anything bad about him. Mm -hmm. I want to say, you know, you feel this way because you really care. You give a lot of fucks. <laughs> you care a lot. <laughs> you care a lot about the people around you feeling good and being happy and you care a lot about how you relate to them and and you feel you feel like you want to do right by them yeah and and in this moment you've done everything you can and they're just upset and that's okay and you don't you can't fix yeah. it you can't do anything about it you're okay the way you are and in, in this uh, little imaginary conversation we're having, do you imagine anything else that he needs to hear or he needs from you or for you to do for him to feel okay again? Is there anything missing or is he, is he feeling better now? Well, I think he needs that. That was a sort of loving parent. I think he needs a, another mm. uh, a 
a stereo approach. I think he needs the the father who steps in and says, you know, kid, if you did do something wrong, I'm going to guide you and figure out how to make it right. Mm-hmm. So you you don't have to worry that you're not going to be accountable. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to help you be accountable. So if you actually mm-hmm. did something wrong, I'm going to help you fix it and set it right. But in this mm-hmm. situation, you didn't. But know that you're okay either way. Yeah. Either way, you're fine. You're good. We love you. And if you screw up, we'll show you how to make it right. All right. Now, what what does the four year old want to do? You've you've reassured him. You've given him some emotional wisdom. You've uh, validated him. You, he knows that he's not bad. What does he want to do now? Oh, I feel so good in my belly. Um, he just wants to like chill out. Yeah, go play and and what? just keep keep being full of wonder and curiosity and. It always gives me chills because whenever whenever uh, I do this exercise, the kid always wants to go play. I love it. <laughs> and I just get so filled with joy. And I mean, that happened to me when uh, someone led me through this exercise. And, and he's like, well, what do you want to do now? And I was five. And I'm like, I want to go play with my cousin Ryan. <laughs> and just like, just like a kid just wants to be loved just wants to have their emotions come and go and, and go play, have fun. And it feels so good. So I'm curious now, like sensing back into your own gut right now, what's happened to this shrapnel? What's happened to this emotional signature? What do you feel? What color is it now? What, what has it changed? Has it shifted at all? Yeah. Yeah. It's not all gone, but it's, it kind of went into from being hard metal. It turned into like a ribbon. Mm. softer wow and, and then it started to feel more liquidy and warm like quicksilver mm. or something kind of melting you know yeah um now it's kind of like gray kind of fuchsia purple mm. feels like it's dripping or moving too like it's i'm just noticing it's almost like it's slowly going down through my intestine now or something you know like it's yeah it's like showing you that it's no longer there to hurt you. It's, uh, I mean, I don't know. The story comes to my mind. It's, you know, I'm imagining that it was like saying, Hey, some bad shit happened when you were four and we needed to resolve that for the four year old. And now you've done that. And so I'm showing you that I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not even this metal sharp silver I'm this purple. I'm like a ribbon and I'm soft. I'm, I wasn't ever there to just try to hurt you for no reason. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was like, it was trying to get me to notice my connection and my impact and my relationship with everybody. Yeah. You know, and now I see it more clearly and it's relaxing and passing through. You know, I trace this stuff back to like, as far as kind of curiosity about the emotions in the body to this doctor, I believe is a psychologist in New Zealand back in the mid to late 1980s, Dr. Grove or Grover or something like that. I'll have to look him up, but he, 
he really identified this phenomenon of looking at the size, the shape, the color of emotions, mm -hmm. uh, sort of this like emotional energy, almost like it's its own entity within the body. And by working with visuals and sensations, it's kind of like a way to access the right brain and allow things to be processed that we just simply can't do with abstract, you know, left brain reasoning stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've done, I've done this kind of processing from so many different techniques and tools. And personally, I find visualizing in the body, the most, one of the most immediate because it takes mm -hmm. me out of the story. And it's, it's so visceral, right? It's undeniable. Yeah. It's right there. Oh, oh yeah. What's that? And as soon as I see the image of it, it starts to shift. There's something about mindfulness. When we observe something, it already starts to feel different because it's mm -hmm. being observed. Yeah. The fact that you asked me about it already started to feel softer around it. Um, it reminds me of Eugene Gendelin's work and the mm -hmm. sort of the focusing community in the 70s and 80s. They did similar kind of pioneering in terms of getting into the felt sense, into the body. And then, you know, psychotherapy took a few decades to catch up, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can tell you've done done a lot of work and you're you're really, you know, into it. It seems like you've had experience, you know, being curious about these things. And, you know, it's like this gift that never stops giving, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just fascinated with it. And, and I also love how it's kind of really not a exact science. It's sort of still this phenomenology that we don't understand very well. The whole thing that got me interested in emotions in the first place is I asked all of my professors, all of my mentors throughout medical school and residency, like, what's the deal with emotions? And I thought it was like a simple question and no one was able to give me a satisfying answer. And to this day, it just is sort of like the rabbit hole. The deeper you go, the more fascinating it gets. Yeah. You know, I, there, I think there are more people in academia writing about emotions. There's emotional focused therapies. and yeah. But even when I read their work, it's so... It's so head centered in terms mm. of trying to analyze emotions. I find this is what I find really exciting working with men. Men tend to be more restricted emotionally than women, just in general, right? It's con I think it's a conditioning the way we're, we're brought up. Sure. But I find when men get into their senses, into their bodies, they have this wisdom accessible very quickly. Mm. So I can't, you know, talk analytically about emotions with most guys but if if i ask them a question like you asked me what are you feeling in your gut what's that mm -hmm. like what does that remind you of what is you know what does that feel like is what color is it every man that i've ever talked to is able to give me something like their body yeah. they have body wisdom that's mm -hmm. untapped and once mm -hmm. they tap into it they start to heal very quickly mm -hmm. that's the part that is really exciting to me with this technology, right? Is it's, right. it's ancient, it's in the body, it's immediate. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to, you can read your book for inspiration and get and get the tools, but you don't need further training to be able to relate to your own emotions and, right. and heal and grow. So what emotions can you name right now what, what's been sort of going on with that guilt for you? Any other associated emotions or what's just kind of coming up for you right now? 
don't have a word for it. It's kind of like this, this kind of like excitement, passion, <laughs> like things are possible. Yeah. You know, there's more vigor. Mm. Vigor, like, yeah, we can do this. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised by that. I did. I, it's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when we realize that the 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 guilt for example or these you know painful emotions that they were there to help us all along and the reason we got stuck for so long is because we've been trying to find you know methods to to fix it or to somehow get over it right yeah. and that's such a tricky thing because even when you do techniques like this we still have this hidden agenda i caught myself today i went on this mindful walk and I caught myself, I'm like, and then I won't be sad anymore. It's like, no, no, no. The mm -hmm. point is you're still going to have guilt pop up from now and you know, now and then. Mm -hmm. You're still going to have that sadness. You're still going to have that fear. And that's a, that's a good thing mm -hmm. because it's a very real thing. And that's the most challenging thing is to just get rid of that secret agenda that we have to just be happy all the time and never experience any painful emotions or fearful emotions. The moment that you can really, really make peace with the negative emotions, that's, that's almost my definition of like enlightenment because then there really no longer is a problem. You mm. are okay with the, the tsunami of fear, the waves mm. of sadness, the, the pain of loneliness, they mm. all come and go and you're just, using it all to your advantage to get really grounded in the truth of your current situation, your relationships, all the stuff these emotions are there to try to help us with. Beautifully said. Yeah. You know what, what helps me with that? Cause I, I think we all have that instinct, make the pain go away. Right. It's like, mm. Oh, please. What helps me is to, is now that I've had several, many, many experiences of that shift is to remember the gift. My grief, I love my grief now. I used to I used to hate it. I would kill to get away from grief. I love grief now because every time I feel grief, I feel more connected to life, mm. planet. I feel more alive than I, I did before I connected to that grief. Yeah. I feel the preciousness of life, the fragility of it, the beauty of it. You know, God, it's incredible, right? And with guilt, I'm starting to realize it's a, teaching me to be really clear about where my responsibility is and where it's not. Hmm. And when I don't digest my guilt, I get really confused about those boundaries. And I spend a lot of energy trying to caretake people who don't want to be caretaken or fix things that don't need to be fixed or, you know, I waste yeah. a lot of juice that way. And I'm, I'm feeling clear right now that every time I've processed guilt, I just get a clear sense of this is mine. This is yours. Great. Let's, let's go. I'm taking care of my business. You take care of yours. <laughs> and there, I love that feeling. I didn't grow up with that feeling. Mm -hmm. I often felt really confused about myself in the world and where my boundaries ended and where they started, you know? Yeah. So that, that helps me to kind of release the agenda to get rid of the feeling and be in that space of, okay, I'll, I can't wait to see where this one takes me. Yeah. 
know? That's awesome. I, this guy is already a radical emotional acceptance master. You just, <laughs> I mean, you just already skipped to the fifth step of thank the fuck. You know, you had this sincere gratitude. I think yeah. that's, that's such beautiful insight I'm learning right now that grief as a gift, it makes us feel more connected to life. Like that's so beautiful. And guilt is a gift we can be thankful for making us clear about what we're responsible for, what we're not responsible for. And just if you can, if you can actually have that sincere gratitude, which you obviously have for these painful emotions, it's impossible to simultaneously have that gratitude and be at war trying to get rid of those emotions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel it. I feel it from my head to my toes and I feel it especially, you know, it's, it's easier even on the outside when men come to me and they're like in suffering, I get excited not to see people suffer, but I get excited when they're coming with that spirit of, I'm going to put it on the table yeah. and we're going to unpack it together because I know we're going to find some treasure. We're going to get to something that has been terribly missing in their life. And until we dig into that dark soil, of those those harder emotions we can't we can't find it it's there mm -hmm. when we get it it's so beautiful right yeah i often joke you know i'm not a sadist but i'm so happy when a patient or a client or someone i'm talking to is so angry or so sad not because i want them to be suffering but because i get to be sad with them i get to be angry with them and like you said on the other side of that, there's some really just deep connection to emotional truth. And on the flip side of every painful emotion, there's a desire, an emotional need, a wish, a want, something that, that we don't have right now. And we can always have that joy of identifying that desire. And then we have automatically, we have hope because now we know what we want. And it's a matter of time before we can creatively pursue it, you know? I love that. There's a, this is going to sound a little bit out there, but um, years ago, I read a book by Martin Praetel. He's a, I think he's a Native American or Native Canadian, and he felt estranged from his culture. So he went down south to Guatemala and he studied with the, the Mayan people. And he wrote this beautiful mm -hmm. book about their cosmology of how they see the purpose of life, right? Yeah. When he studied in the, in the rainforest. And this blew my mind because it flipped everything I thought. You know, I always thought I did a little bit of Buddhism and mindfulness. I always thought it was all about letting go of things, detaching, mm. right? Releasing of this mortal coil. Uh, and I got kind of stuck in a spiritual bypassing for a decade. But... He said their goal in life is when they die is to be fat, fat with <laughs> empathy, fat with experience, fat with suffering, fat with every human, every facet of experience they can accumulate. That's what they give to the gods when they die. Mm -hmm. and something in that just made so much sense to me. Yeah. You know, being a sensitive person, be feeling kind of in this crazy world where people are always lying about how they feel or pretending they feel something they don't feel. There's so many um, facades that people wear. That made life make sense to me mm. on an emotional level. Right. Every time I process emotions 
even especially the hard ones, I get some kind of gift that I then get to pass on to people in this lifetime and maybe maybe when I die. But um, that's made my life extremely meaningful. Yeah. Because if someone comes to me with guilt, now I have more consciousness and wisdom around it. Before I would be just like, well, good luck with that. Sorry, you're suffering. <laughs> now I kind of, I get it more, right? I understand yeah. it. Um, I can sit with them in it and trust that they're going to get through it and find something good. Right. You know, I have this theory that heaven, heaven can be right now. You know, if the goal of life isn't to get rich or to accomplish these things, be successful or whatever people are in the rat race for, if the goal is to be present and to be completely accepting of all of your emotions and the emotions of the person that you're sitting next to and really have that empathy and experience this part of the story, because we're in the middle of this amazing story, which is our life. And every part of an, a great story or a great movie, you know, has uh, high times, low times, but the, the totality of the movie makes such a great film, you know? And so that's a picture of our life. And to, to be able to be present in the beauty, no matter what season we might be going through, then there really no longer is anything to strive for. And you can experience that like right now, specifically in this moment with you, you know, I, I'm just enjoying getting to know your emotional landscape, getting to just understand, be on the same page with you about these things. And it's like, yeah, we have goals and practicalities and responsibilities, everything else. But in the grand scheme of things, like right now is perfect. You know, there, there's nothing missing if we don't start to believe the story that, yeah, I just gotta, I just gotta fix this emotion and I just gotta get over this. And I gotta, I gotta, you know, heal that emotional scar. It, you know, it can just be enough to be present and to just accept it all and enjoy, enjoy the ride. That's well said. Yeah. I, I often find too, like, I got to work with that part of myself that wants to fix or achieve or, you know, this isn't enough. I got to, I got to do more right now, that restlessness. And, um, every time I turn towards it, like your, like your whole book and your teaching is, I always learn something there too, right? It's like, oh, there's this anxiety, there's this restlessness or shame or something. Oh, and it brings me back to that same place every time of this is beautiful, this life that we have right now. It's is I've faced death a few times. So I also know how it's impermanent and it's precious. You know? Even if it's painful, it's it's still very, very precious. Right. It's gonna be gone. And it, and even if I live another fifty years, there's not gonna be another moment like this. Mm-hmm. This one right here. Yeah. Right? It's like oh. Yeah, I feel a lot of a lot of awe and joy and gratitude for that. I give my patients a gift, which is a invisible tattoo, and uh, put on their wrist right here, and it says, "Right now is perfect," just as a reminder that right now, whenever the moment is, all the nows, ten minutes from now, ten days from now, it's perfect. 
everything is exactly as it should be because that's the way it is. And then our job is to just, with curiosity, explore the the nowness. You know, I like uh, Eckhart Tolle's stuff, The Power of Now, but what's missing is emotions. And I think a lot of people use that as a way to emotionally bypass. You know, they'll try to use meditation or be focused in the now in order to rise above or avoid or ignore any painful emotions. And and you can actually kind of get good at that for a while. It's like a technique people practice for years. Yeah. However, if you can just simply incorporate the emotions into it and realize that the nowness of the emotions and their intensity, you might be having some extreme confusion. You might be having some intense sadness or fear. And that's also part of the now and there's nothing to fix there either, then you truly are at peace because you no longer have any problems. You just have the emotions that should be there because they are. Wow, I love it. I'm glad you brought up the power of now because I I, I deal with a lot of men too who have a spiritual practice mm-hmm. and who can be really good at it until they have kids and life gets full and then they find themselves getting angry and scared and they can't contain it mm-hmm. with meditation or with breath work or something, you know, that they use to kind of settle their nerves and they have to deal with those, those harder feelings. Um, my friend, Larry Nussbaum, who's also a doctor um, and a therapist, he has this beautiful way of framing emotions like a GPS, they're they're what tell you where you are right now. Mm. Part of your navigating system. Yeah. And those needs that they're that are unmet when you have a, a dark feeling is mm. where you want to be. So they're telling you where you are or where you want to go. Right. And if you follow the felt sense, it tells you exactly what the next step is to get mm. there. Right? It's just like one breath, one moment in time that leads you on towards where you want to go. And I, I think there's a lot of wisdom that we're reclaiming in the last few years on a, on a more global, yeah, I'd like to think it's global, mm-hmm. but I see more and more people waking up to the emotional uh, wisdom that they have. And that's, that's, yeah. gives me hope. This has been the most fulfilling, satisfying quest of my life so far. And I've met some of the most fascinating folks from around the world, just on this topic of what the heck's going on with these emotions, you know? Uh, you, you mentioned an emotion I wanted to highlight. The, I think of it as an emotion anyway, which is confusion. Mm. And someone helped me to see emotion, uh, confusion as an emotion instead of a problem. And I realized my entire life, I thought confusion, bad. Confusion means you're stupid. You don't know the answer. You, mm. you don't know what to do. It's very, uh, that's not manly. You can't be confused because that's weak. <laughs> but once I realize uh, confusion is this temporary emotion and it's yeah. an appropriate emotion when you are confused, <laughs> You're, you don't know the answer, you don't know what to do mm-hmm. and, and you need more time, you need more, you need help, you need to ask questions, whatever. And resting in that confusion and being curious about it instead of thinking of it as a bad thing mm-hmm. has given me a lot of peace. I don't know how you've experienced confusion, but I wanted to ask you about that. I love that. My uh, friend of mine, she wrote a book called I Don't Know, a children's book. (laughs) And it's about a monster whose name is I Don't Know. 
And my daughter, who's 10 years old, loved that book so much. She did that for Halloween. She dressed up as, I don't know. <laughs> and I think there's so much wisdom in that. You know, I think in terms of leadership, I deal with a lot of men who are trying to be leaders. I'd say at least half the time you're in, I don't know. Mm. And you'd be arrogant and stupid to say otherwise. Right. Right. And so, and leadership isn't about knowing everything all the time, pretending you have control over the universe. It's about acknowledging what we don't know, what we need to discover. Like you said, maybe it's, we're missing allies. We don't have mm. enough support. Mm. Uh, this is incredible information to be able to navigate through life. Yeah. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I think confusion is a really great, great emotion because it can lead to curiosity, humility, openness, right? Um, it, it opens the door for everything else. Yeah. What's the moral of the story of the I don't know monster, the I don't know story? I forget. I, I think there's different I don't know monsters and it just invites you to you know, from child level to invite you to be okay with like what we're talking about, to be okay with the, I don't know. There's value yeah. in the, I don't know that I don't know has a place in your home, you know? Yeah. And you can't get rid of him. Um, <laughs> he's not trying to hurt you. He's just, <laughs> he's just there going, I don't know. And, right. um, that there's something infectious about that to kind of mm -hmm. let that, let that take over that idea and actually encounter confusion. Yeah, I, I I think of similar to like boredom, you know, when mm -hmm. I work with boys, particularly, they get bored every five seconds, right? And yeah. <laughs> boredom is such a great feeling because it means you're not being overstimulated. You're not being, nobody is shoving information down your throat, trying to indoctrinate you. Mm -hmm. And you're not being highly entertained. So mm -hmm. this is life. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you embrace boredom, you start to discover, oh my God, there's so much that I could could do, so much that could <laughs> happen. And then there's like this intrinsic drive to make something happen, to create or experiment or, you know, and I think that's that's such an essential instinct. And yeah. if, we, if we cut that off by trying to numb our boredom or satiate it, um, we never get to be creative, right? We never get to encounter the world in a pure way. I can't believe how much we have in common. And I just met you, but you mm. know, it's, it's fascinating. I saw this uh, meme once that said, you're not bored unless you're boring. And there was the same idea. And I, yeah. I started to think of, you know, boredom as this emotion where, you know, it's not a bad thing. I, if you think of it as like a problem to fix, like, oh, I'm bored. I hate being bored. And how do I not be bored? And then you, you create this battle with yourself. But if mm -hmm. you look at it, like you said, with curiosity, and then you think, okay, so what a great place to be. My emotions telling me I'm in a certain state of mind and situation and relationship. So what are the desires? What, uh, you know, the world of possibilities I could, you know, go do now. And it doesn't really seem to take long to uh, think of something that gets you excited, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. I think that speaks to our modern digital age where we have, I kind of grew up with this and it didn't as a refugee coming to Canada at a young age, we didn't have a lot of things other kids had. So I didn't get to watch TV till later. So I got to like really 
be in the neighborhood, in the ravine, in the, you know, roaming around as a kid. Um, but it seems like more and more we're getting so, uh, the digital attention economy has gotten so good at stealing our attention and getting us to choose to be in this matrix where we're being spoon-fed how the universe works. Right. As opposed to going out into the world and feeling awkward and bored and confused <laughs> and figuring it out ourselves, right? right. Um, so I think those emotions are extremely critically necessary right now in, yeah. in education, in our lives. Um, but we have to kind of exercise some kind of willful choice to walk away from the those screens that tell us exactly what we want to hear and give mm -hmm. us the the pleasures that we're used to to kind of let that go and feel our own emotions right not have our emotions be manipulated by the world by the media mostly right yeah but to actually encounter our own emotions i think that's a radical act yeah uh, i wish more you know i love your podcast for that reason because i feel like you're demonstrating how exactly to do that right not just talking about it you're like showing example after example this is how you come <laughs> back into your body feel yourself this is the treasure that's waiting inside yeah and thanks so much for being on you know it's so encouraging for me it's hard to find a lot of folks who are emotionally woke you know <laughs> Our, our merch store has a, some t-shirts that say emotionally woke and it, it's, it's so you, you can kind of get lost pretty easily because you go back to the screens, you go back to kind of the everyday, you know, grind and folks are just so caught up in, you know, the rat race. It's, it's easy to kind of get lost. And I think we need to encourage each other to continue to take those moments to just really tune in with curiosity to, our greatest asset, the, these negative emotions are not a problem. They're actually, right. they're there. They're helping us more than anything else. You know, the, the positive emotions, they're always there. You know, it's, it's nice to feel happy and joy and pleasure and love. Mm -hmm. And of course we want that. That's great. And, and they're, they're there for us, but the negative emotions they're they're showing us something they're making, they're tuning us into our reality in a unique way that only they can. Right. And they're and they can get us into a lot of trouble too if we don't understand them, right? Mm -hmm. But you know what I'm really struck by is that uh, for about twenty, if almost twenty years, I was teaching self-regulation to kids, mostly boys, right? Meditation, mm -hmm. self-awareness, learning about their emotions, very valuable. And then all this research came out about co-regulation, that mm -hmm. we actually are self-regulation is is really hard. Mm -hmm. We're not good, like. You know, I've been sitting with that feeling in my gut for 46 years. Yeah. I've been tuning into it the last few days. I had some yeah. insight and clarity, but as soon as I'm in relationship with you and you're tuning into me and yeah. just being in your presence made it so much easier right. to go down there and to tolerate it and feel it and then get to that feeling of, oh, this feels good, actually. This can, can feel better. So I think the key in what you just said is that we need each other. We need each other to help ourselves even know what we're feeling sometimes mm. and help ourselves guide ourselves through it. For thousands of years, we lived in little tribes where we, we needed to be aware emotionally of each other. Otherwise we die. Right. Yeah. And so this idea of just meditating by yourself or, or having techniques to 
only relate to yourself separate from the world is kind of a, is a strange idea in yeah. terms of how we actually are wired. So I'm, that's why I've doubled down on community. My survival yeah. strategy for the climate change in the world is to mm -hmm. be in community and to be in relationship with others and be constantly uh, tuning into one another and helping each other through whatever we're going through. Yeah. And learning together too. Yeah. Well, most people are not nearly as ready as you were to be able to, to do what you did, to just be able to, you know, follow these sort of simple steps of naming the emotion, describing what you sense in your body, uh, going back to the origin, the very first time as a child you ever felt that, you know, I mean, you are able to really readily pick up on it and, you know, working with thousands of people, it takes a long time for a lot of people to, to be able to do that. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're so right. You know, loneliness is such a powerful and painful emotion. And I was in denial for years that I even was having this emotion. And once my eyes were finally open that mm. I was quite lonely, I was surrounded by friends and family and everything you could want, but I was just desperately, desperately lonely. Mm. And that was a huge wake up. And then once I realized and admitted that, okay, this is a painful emotion, that was what turned, opened my eyes to seeing that I had this desire for what you're saying, community, to the antidote to loneliness, for connection, for companionship, for camaraderie, for, yeah. for the things that were really like lacking in society. And so I have the most gratitude for the emotion of loneliness because it taught me it's so painful for a reason to wake, wake us up and to alert us to the need that we do have for each other and drive us back to creatively seeking community with each other. Wow. I, lo I love that. And a friend of mine, Eric Pierney, he works with a lot of men too. And he's a therapist who runs a clinic. He has a saying when men reach out for the first time, he says, you know, a hundred years ago, or a few hundred years ago, the, the bravest thing a man could do is grab a weapon and go fight uh, or go hunt, right? Because you never knew if you're going to come back. Nowadays, mm. the bravest thing you can do as a man is to reach out for connection. Mm. To, actually, yeah. to actually acknowledge, hey, I feel lonely. I can't figure this out all by myself. Yeah. That goes against so many codes of manhood that were taught that breaks through all of that says, I'm human. I believe too. And I need, I need brotherhood and sisterhood and relationships. And yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The last emotion you had mentioned, I wanted to jump into a bit is shame. So thoughts on shame. Have you experienced any, any shame, that emotion recently? What's, uh, what's going on with shame? <laughs> I feel like I'm going to write a book about it one day. <laughs> um, well, shame was so prevalent in my life and so unconsciously passed on in my family that I mm. reached 27 uh, and I wanted to die. Mm. just felt unbearable, self-loathing and disgust with myself that had no kind of basis in reality and the world around me. I was, you know, in a wonderful relationship, doing well in work. So I, I became alerted to it at that point. Like I had to deal with this or it's going to kill me, literally. 
And it's been a long journey to understand that one. I think that's been the hardest one. Um, mm. When I work with kids, they're really great at getting to the point, right? Like no bullshit. So a lot of kids taught me that shame is yucky. <laughs> yucky feeling, gross, I wanna puke. And it's like exactly it, that's the sensation. I wanna puke myself out. I hate who I see right now. Um, and 99% of that is like a toxic, uh, like I've swallowed a toxin and my nervous system is saying, get this out. So that's the physical manifestation of it. Psychologically, I find that many, many I, don't, I haven't yet to meet a man who doesn't have shame mm -hmm. to some degree. The sense mm -hmm. of like, not just that I made a mistake and I feel bad, but there's something fundamentally flawed in me. I'm mm. missing a chip or I'm not good enough or I will never be loved because blah, blah, blah. But that assumption, that story, uh, you know, like original sin in the Bible, like there's, you're flawed. Yeah. Get, get used to it, kid. That is so mm -hmm. ingrained in our culture. It's so ingrained in our marketing, in our advertising. You're not enough and you need this to give you that feeling of being more than you are. Mm -hmm. But don't worry, you're never going to be enough. So you'll keep needing to <laughs> buy my shit. And I see, see that as the, as the strongest emotion that causes the most harm for men, um, mm -hmm. more than anger, more than grief, more than you. So one of the antidotes to shame, because shame also wants you to hide. It wants you to be fake. It wants you to hide yourself because you're such a terrible person, unredeemable. So now you need a fake self that you have to prop up all the time and you can't ever be real. And if you can't ever be real, then nothing is real. You can't have real relationships, right? So it's just kind of this, this crawling into hiding with the shame. Shame starts to dissipate. That toxic cloud starts to leave the nervous system when men speak about what's really going on. When any, anyone ever says something that the shame is whispering in their ear, don't say that. If you say that, they're going to know what a loser you are, what a piece of crap you are. When you say that, you're defying the shame. Mm -hmm. And you're acknowledging it too. I feel ashamed, embarrassed to do this, but here goes. Wow. Yeah. Showing up. I'm real. My feelings are valid. My reality is worth hearing, right? My right. story is worth telling. Uh, so I see that all the time in community, just the act of men in my case showing up and talking about stuff stuff that would never right. say it's so to see the shame kind of like coming out of their pores and they feel <laughs> lighter and they feel clearer about who they are yeah it's that's beautiful. great yeah that's that's really insightful i love asking people about shame because it is such a it's a tough emotion to understand and to figure out I love stand-up comedy. It's one of my favorite things. And I, one of the reasons why you just helped me realize is because a lot of the greatest comedians, in my opinion, they get up there on stage and they talk about some shameful shit, you know, <laughs> stuff that you would never say. They're, they're outing themselves publicly. And I think it's cathartic because they're saying all the stuff that we're too afraid to say. We're and you get such this... So hard, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You get this relief. You're like, oh, God, I, I'm not the only one who's had that dark thought or whatever. Yeah. Comedy, My approach, oh, go ahead. Well, I think comedy is really powerful and there's, it's a double-edged sword, right? It can be unshaming and liberating yeah. when we take on this, what we're saying and acknowledge it. But comedy can also be a way to avoid 
I can make fun of you and mock you as a way of displacing my shame, right? Yeah. Putting it on you. And people might laugh, but that that just kind of, that's a way of bypassing dealing with shame. Or comedy can be authentic and it's it's so liberating and healing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wanted to run my approach with you by you real quick. Mm-hmm. So with the idea that all emotions are good, that they're they're here to help us in some way, I've been very curious about this idea of shame. Mm-hmm. And what I've come up with so far is that if shame is good, it's still this yucky, I think of it as this fireball, uh, pukey, painful, intense, hot emotion, yeah. right? That's just, that's just true. That's what it feels like. It turns your whole body red and your, your entire circulatory systems like throbbing. If you've had some intense shame or embarrassment. Yeah. How can that be good? That's awful. So I think that the problem is that the story about shame is toxic, meaning that we have this idea that, oh, this, this painful emotion means that I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. I'm yeah. unlovable. I'm flawed, right? right? But otherwise, I wouldn't feel so gross, right? Yeah. Instead, if the emotion is really about a different story, which is okay, there's something really bad, but it's not me. There's something really bad about my relationship with the tribe, my relationship with you, my relationship with society or with mm-hmm. the situation. And it might be because something bad that I did, I I made a mistake, I shouldn't have done something or some pattern or way I'm thinking about things. But if we realize it's trying to help us, it's like a, it's like a kick in the pants. It's a slap in the face. It's saying you better pay attention because like you were saying earlier, if you're not good with your tribe, you're as good as dead. And I think that that in a way it's still true today, even though we don't live, you know, in these intimate tribes, Yeah, we need to figure out what's wrong. And if we can take this idea that there's something bad about us, I'm unlovable, I'm flawed. If we can take that out of the picture and realize, okay, there's something wrong with my relationship with the other. And I, or maybe there's something wrong with the other, maybe I don't want to be in a relationship with this aspect of society because this aspect of society is shaming me because I'm not rich enough or I don't look right or whatever. And so maybe I'm going to turn off my social media. Maybe that's the problem. So the shame is because of them, but you get to analyze it and realize, okay, I got to do something about this because something's really wrong here, but what a relief. I'm not the problem. Who I am is not the problem because I can always change my behavior and I don't have to believe the story that somehow I'm not a, you know, precious, valuable, you know, infinitely valuable human being, right? Mm-hmm. I love how you frame that. To me, you, you, you frame that in a beautiful relational way. It's not that I'm flawed because I feel gross about myself. It's just something, something is off here. And something has come from the world, from my relationships, that's given me that impression. Yeah. There's a dissonance there that feels really gross. And I think on a visceral level, to me, I experience it as I feel, I feel gross. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it's the most easiest assumption. What mm-hmm. I find fascinating about shame too, though, 
is it's relational and it's also intra psychic. Like, hmm. you know, take any message of shame. You're weak for men, right? If you cry or if you're effeminate, oh, you're weird or you're gay and that's bad or something, right? So yeah. yuck, gross. We reject you. That's accurate. If you behave in a way that goes against the code of the men around you, you will get kicked out of the tribe. Right. You will. You will. They will look at you with disgust. Yeah. So there's something relationally accurate there, but then you either swallow that shame and and say, yeah, they're right. I am gross. I am weak. I am worthy of being discarded, or you try to push it away, but then you're floating alone in the universe, abandoned. Right. So most yeah. of the time we, we we have to swallow it, but when you digest it, once you've swallowed it. The profound thing I find with shame is you get to a clear truth of who you are. Mm. So maybe that the value of the men around me are like, be strong, be there, you know, be committed. Don't show emotion because that emotion's weak. And I digest that. At first, I feel terrible. I feel like a weakling, a loser. But then I digest it. I realize, oh, there's a certain expectation to this code of manhood. Mm. Maybe there's a grain of truth in like sometimes it's good to show up with your strength and hide your weakness sometimes that's useful for survival sometimes right. that world demands of me to stop crying and just show up and mm -hmm. fucking fight yeah that's good but 99 percent of the time that disconnects me from you know from a full range of my emotions and myself and that's their code don't i'm not sure i want to i don't actually want to live up to that code I want to define mm. a different manhood over here. Yeah. That comes from the intrinsic, my soul trying to tell me who I am, what I'm here to do and what kind of man I am. Right. You know, to me, that's, that's the beauty of, of unshaming or, or working through shame. Mm -hmm. You get, to, you get to some like incredible insight about the nature of who you really are in relation mm -hmm. to the world that no one can tell you that. No one can right. give you that information. You have to kind of dig through the pile of coal to get to the diamond mm -hmm. to discover it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Very well said. It, it dovetails nicely with shadow work, getting in touch with our, our dark side, our shadow side. And and we may discover that there's some there's some evil lurking within all of us. We're capable of uh, of great evil. And we may have an emotion of shame about that. And, and the conclusion may be to not necessarily share your shadow parts with the tribe. <laughs> there, there may be some things that you want to kind of keep to yourself or just with like close friends or, or whatnot. So that greater amount of self-discovery, realizing who you are, knowing yourself as well as, as possible, trying to become self-actualized. And then also how our emotions can inform us, you know, how to relate to our tribe, to other people, to society, to our friends. And there's ne not necessarily a right or wrong decision. I think it's a very individual decision on what to actually do with that. But you're not going to be able to get there to make the best decision until you are self-actualized, until you are emotionally woke, until, until you do that... Um, deep dig to understand 
the truth of the emotions and what they're telling you about your re relationship to others. And then life is life. You're free to do this or do that or share or not share. You get to enjoy, you know, the adventure of life by deciding what to do with that. But you're going to be most emotionally wise and informed by getting clear about that before you go on to act on the emotion. Right on. Yeah. I think of all the things that I do as a mentor and a therapist in the world, and I teach a lot of different skills and tools and resources. When, when I see men doing that emotional processing and learning how to do it, that's when they just grow like a decade in a year, you know, mm. uh, it's incredible. Yeah. You, we need that wisdom to make decisions all the time, right? Life is full of complex quandaries and paradoxes. <laughs> and and if we're emotionally young, we're, we're only able to operate on that level. We need, to, we need to grow up to become more emotionally mature. The world needs us to. <laughs> I wish we could go on talking for hours. This is yeah, exciting. Maybe we'll be able to do this again sometime soon. If people wanted to follow you or reach out, how can they? And tell us a little bit about, I think you have a book out there too. I do. And then I have, this is the pre-copy. My heart is a muscle. It's a nice. novel. So it's kind of like your book, but it's a novel version about a guy who's disconnected from his emotions and he has a heart attack and he wakes up and he has to face life. His wife threatens to leave. His job is in jeopardy. And so he has to like meet all these incredible people and discover that technology of his own emotion. Mm -hmm. um, so men can find me at www.powerfulandloving.com. Um, we mostly primarily focus on community groups and then we do one-on-one -on -one mentoring and small group mentoring. Particularly, we have a program called Diamond Heart for when men are going through like intense emotion around separation and relationship turmoil. I think this is where men feel like they're drowning often. You know, they're they're going through grief and anger and hurt, like years of emotion that have been stored up are now coming out through the separation. And it's, so we try to intervene at that level to help men emotionally regain their, their center, understand mm. what those emotions are trying to tell them, how to navigate and actually evolve rapidly at that time, which is very, it's a very beautiful work to see men who've been stuck for decades. And then maybe because of a hard thing, like a divorce or a threat to their health or their relationship, but they wake up and they're motivated to like understand grief, anger, <laughs> hurt, all those emotions and actually like befriend them, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's profound to see in a few weeks, a few months time, how men can transform as fathers, as husbands. And um, so that's the kind of work we do. We're, we're here for the, my goal is to create a community that's going to be here when I die. Nice. So we're not on social media anymore. We're, we're kind of quieter. We're, we're out there if you look for us. And uh, the goal is to grow a community that lasts with men who are committed and long-term into this kind of, this paradigm that we're talking about. I'm so glad you're doing that. And this is the first time I've ever heard the idea of emotions as a technology that we can tap into. I love that. 
Yeah, my friend Michael McCarthy, he's a storyteller who studies older mm. cultures. There's a technology for everything, right? How mm. we do the internet, that's the technology, but it's really helped me to kind of really understand the full power of it. This technology has been in our nervous system for thousands of years. We either understand it and use it, or it's being used against us, you know, primarily with AI and all the people that are trying to manipulate our emotions these days, right? Yeah. It's, it's really important that we understand our own, how we're wired and what makes us tick. So, yeah. It might be our only kryptonite for the AI that's coming. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. And it, I, I think of freedom and, and your, you, you know, that sense of like, how do we regain our own sense of power in a world that is constantly at war and is dysfunctional and unhealthy in a lot of ways. And this is what you're talking about. Your book talks about is really the technology of how to do that on a very intimate inside out kind of way. And I deal with a lot of people who try to start communities without this technology, they always fail. Yeah. You know, you try to buy property with people, try to get along with them, unless you know how to be with your own emotions and share them and process them together. It's essential, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, David, and we'll pleasure. see you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey guys, thanks for watching. This is Dr. Alex Wills with Give a F Actually. Make sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs> thanks for watching. Make sure to check out the merch store. <laughs> RadicalEmotionalAcceptance.com Bye. Bye.